0: Welcome, welcome to the Wild Feather. Lee Honeywell, the CEO of Tall Poppy, is joining me today. Working in security and cybersecurity at Slack, Microsoft, and Semantic, she realized there is a need for personal cybersecurity and she created Tall Poppy. Listen as she shares some of her favorite moments, her biggest mistake, and talks about the challenges of having ADHD. super excited to have Lee Honeywell with us today and she is the founder of Tall Poppy and so I'm really interested actually and intrigued by this company and by what you're doing and I uh, would love to hear how you became a founder what prompted you to become a founder of Tall Poppy how did it get its name all the fun
1: jazz and oh where you're at today so tell us how you got started yeah so i mean I can sort of trace back what I've been doing with Tall Poppy uh, to the late 2000s. <laughs> um, it, I had been working in cybersecurity for a couple of years. Uh, there was like a harassment situation in a like technical community I was in. And I started to like, you know, who is this person that's like sending all these women in Linux death threats? This is like super random. And started to like see if I could figure out who this person was and learned a little bit about how to do online investigations. Um, ended up like filing some reports with law enforcement and eventually like law enforcement visited this person's house and he stopped sending death threats to people in that community. Ah, interesting. Um, so it was like late two thousands, early 2010s. And, um, over the sort of subsequent years, I, um, worked one-on-one with a number of people who were facing really high-profile online harassment situations, ranging from death threats to account hacking, um, doxing, which is a term for the non-consensual release of personal information. You know, people posting your home addresses and being like, "Go get mad at Brooks, send her pizzas, and you know, show up at her house and right. put a bag of dog poop on her house, or whatever." All the sort of like nasty things that takes the internet yep. harassment Let's hope that into happen, a but yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so. I've been doing this for a couple of years, sort of evenings and weekends. I had a traditional cybersecurity day job. I was, uh, it's funny, you you rebooted the computer right before the the call. And I was on the team at Microsoft that shipped the security updates that make you reboot your computer. Um, Uh, And then moved down to Silicon Valley, was working at um, a subsidiary of Salesforce, and then later at Slack. And I had these, you know, standard cybersecurity roles, some of them fairly public, some of them sort of in the background. Um, But I was doing this work with individuals on their sort of personal cybersecurity in my evenings and weekends. And I had had this sort of like nagging idea of like, how can I do this full time? How can I make a business out of this? How can I make this work sustainable was a big piece Mm -hmm. of it. of like, Here I am like grinding myself into dust trying to like help everybody that's dealing with Internet (laughs) jerks. And unfortunately, it turns out there are like quite a few Internet jerks. So I, I was very busy. Um, but the idea that I eventually came up with was what if we got companies to pay for this for their employees? Cause I never wanted Mm. to like charge individuals money, but there's this aligned incentives, um, in terms of like companies who have very public employees, how do we keep them safe? Well, that's what we do. Yeah. So you go to the companies and then protect Mm -hmm. their high,
0: high profile visual people.
1: Yeah. So folks that are, you know, whether it's the sort of the person from the company that goes on CNN talking about mm-hmm. the business ecosystem, blah, 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 whatever, yeah. or somebody who's making policy decisions and is like the face of a policy decision. Um, in some cases, it's 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 not a person who's public, but there's some interaction with the public. Um, mm-hmm. We I worked with one financial services company where they had banned somebody from their platform because they were like obviously doing like fraud of some kind and the person like flipped out and was stalking one of the executives and Mm -hmm. it's like hey you know at some point there's this sort of interaction with the public that happens at a really high scale and some fraction of a percentage of people are going to like flip out so that's where we sort of work on like how do you protect people from these you know, we think about harassment often in the early days of talking about the company, I would often ha- go into these conversations with like investors or whatever. And they'd be like, well, so how do you, you know, do you monitor people's Slack messages? And I was like, you know, we're not dealing with like employees harassing each other. We're mm-hmm. dealing with the, the the threats coming from outside the, the house kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Although yeah. every so often it would turn out that the the, the threat coming from outside the house was actually like Bob in accounting, who was like really mad at somebody <laughs> and sending like anonymous threats. It's just like, Oh, people are messy. People are really, it's a lot yeah. of, a lot of stuff. So yeah,
0: that's yeah. Yeah. I'm it makes me think of schools. Um, and how yep. many kids are getting caught by just posting, they actually go to the school, but they're posting stuff on social media. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, interesting. So do you normally work it sounds
1: like you work with larger companies? We have a we client. have a range of customers from little teeny tiny nonprofits all the way up to like uh, sort of fang companies, like the, the big tech companies. Um, a couple of those are our customers. And um, it, sometimes it's a deployment across an entire organization, particularly if the organization does work that is sensitive in some way. Um, and sometimes we work within a specific team or a specific like set of folks. Um, we have we have two big ways of primary ways of working. We have a software product um, that's a, a security awareness training tool focused on personal security. So it teaches people how to protect their information online, how to protect their online accounts. All of the sort of you know I'm sure you've done the like uh, don't click on the phishing email kind of mm-hmm. security training. Mm-hmm. It's like that, except it's focused on your personal accounts. Mm-hmm. So. I, you know, I trust that these companies have their act together in terms of the corporate infrastructure, but, you know, none of us emerged from the womb knowing how to use two-factor authentication on our personal email accounts. So that's really what we focus on is that sort of personal education around cybersecurity. Um, Well, I have a, I
0: have a question for you that's not really related. Well, kind of, but it's a personal question. So I recently um, have been getting these emails because I have like a tracker on something or other. And like my information is on, got on the dark web, but I haven't quite figured out what I'm supposed to do about it. Like I've been notified. I'm like, that's not good, but how do I fix it? And then I was part of like two company breaches recently, but it's great that you're notifying me of this, but how what do, do you I do fix it? it? Yeah. they're like, change your passwords. I'm like, well, holy smokes, I've got oodles of passwords. Mm-hmm. How in the world am I supposed to change all those? Pa- I don't know what, I don't even know this website that mm-hmm. like leaked my info. So like, do you ever deal with that? Or do you have any answers or any assistance in that
1: situation? Like, what do you do if your information's on the quote dark web? For those listening, I'm cracking my knuckles. This is exactly what we do. <laughs> <laughs> well, then <So. laughs> I am a perfect candidate for you yes, because I love I've it. got I love it.
0: I've got like ten of them in the past two weeks. It's ridiculous. Oh my gosh!
1: It's 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 a it's messy out there for sure. So the um the dark web, uh, there's a bunch of different definitions of it. But when people talk about like your data was leaked on the dark web, there are basically these like message boards. Think of like old school internet forums. Um, where people buy and sell uh, what are referred to as dumps. Um, They're basically like databases of usernames and passwords, credential dumps um, that are stolen from various websites. So the, the classic example that I always use is if you had a LinkedIn account in 2012, you basically have to imagine that like your worst enemy has that password whatever password you're using on linkedin like mm. everybody has it it's just it's been traded around on the dark web and now like you can just there's bit torrents so you can just go download these these databases in some cases um and so the way the way to like deal with that and it's it's so frustrating that they tell you to change all your passwords because that's not that's not what needs to happen whatever right. whatever that password was on linkedin can't use that password anymore So anywhere that you're using that, you got to change the passwords. But the real trick is that we all need to be using, and this is where it's like, it sounds super overwhelming. We all need to be using different passwords on every website. Um, And the only way to do that sustainably is using a password manager, unless you're like a savant and can remember like a bajillion different passwords. My brain don't work that way. So um, the, the idea behind using a password manager is... You have a different password on every website. So if like bobspetfood.com gets hacked, they steal your password. You don't care. It was literally Mm. just the password for Bob's Pet Food. Who cares? Right? So so I need to go through and password managers. (laughs) It's super annoying. I know. (laughs) But the thing is, it's like once you start, once you get in the habit of using a good password manager, it makes your life so much easier because you just, you, you know that you have these credentials stored securely that like they're all unique to the different sites and services you use and you don't have to remember them because they all just like live in this secure store. Um, right. The only challenge the- is if you're logging in
0: from your phone and you established it on your desktop or vice versa I find that to be... The good password managers
1: will actually sync between the two. They that's will. Like okay the big, so what's a good the password revolution. manager? The two that we recommend, um, one is called 1Password, like the number one, and then the word password. The second one is called Bitwarden. Um, Bitwarden has a free option. 1Password is like, I don't know, 40 bucks a year, something like that. Um, Bitwarden? every penny. Bitwarden. W-A-R-D-E-N. And it's it's the blue one or the silver one. (laughs) And the other one was 1Password. Okay.
0: Totally... I guess I'm going to get that done soon. I and it's a little imagine.
1: like it's a little annoying to set it up at first. Um, and people are often like, "Should I do all of these at the same time?" You can just start with the sort of most security sensitive things: your online banking, your social media, the things that you'd be like super annoyed if they got taken over. And then just as you're going about your day, start changing passwords like as you log into sites for the first time in a while. Mm.
0: Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay,
1: good. I'm glad I. uh, But then, what do I do about
0: like these websites that I've never been on? Like one of them was like fishing something. I'm like,
1: I don't even know what this is. So I think the the fundamental thing, if it's not like a site you recognize, there there often isn't really much to do. Um, One of the things that we see a lot of in the sort of like notifications that people get through their like credit monitoring or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, they these monitoring services, they sort of aggregate a lot of different sources of, of hacked data. Um, mm-hmm. And without the sort of context, it, it can be hard to like suss out like what is the actual affected data? In some cases in a data breach situation, there's like, here's, you know, your username, your password, and no other info or just like whatever the info is from that website. Like maybe it's, I don't know, a card game. Card trading game of some kind or something. So there's like what kind of cards you had or whatever, right? There's the sort of data from the website. In other Mm -hmm. cases, it's like your order history or your address, like more sensitive data. Um, But fundamentally, like the sort of action required is if you find out that the password specifically has been stolen, you should stop using that password everywhere because people, what people do is this, there's this type of attack called credential stuffing. Um, And the way it works is, again, take that LinkedIn password from 2012, and people will just like test it against like every other website. And most of the time when you hear like, my uncle got his Facebook hacked, I'm always picking on my poor uncle, he's actually very smart. Um, My uncle got his Facebook hacked, like... It probably wasn't this like super sophisticated, like hacker attack, like nation state level hacker attack. It was probably just that he like used the same password since 2003 and it was like traded on the dark web. So that's, you know, the unique credentials, super annoying, super tedious, a good password manager. The other thing that comes up sometimes is people are like, I already use Safari's password manager or the one in Chrome. Those are also like super good options if they work for your workflow. But if you're starting from scratch to be able to like sync between your phone and your um, and your computer, super recommend Bitwarden or One Password.
0: Interesting. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm totally gonna
1: do it, but it's gonna take time. I don't even know.
0: Um, yeah, crazy. Okay, so where are you at? You have a product. You have the two products, right? You have the software product, and then.
1: Yes, we have the software product and then we also do like an executive service where uh, our team of analysts will basically do a, almost like a red team engagement, um, which is sort of an adversarial, like if I was mad at Brooke, like what information would I find online about her? Write up a report on that. We take down information where we can, things like data broker websites, these sort of creepy people search websites. We take a bunch of that information down. There's often information we can't take down, um, election records, different kinds kinds of like public records that are that are part of the the sort of public record for very Mm -hmm. good reason. Um, But we identify what is out there so that you have situational awareness about what kind of physical security threats you might be subjected to. Then we also do a deep dive on your personal security practices. What kind of home network do you have? Do you have like IoT, like house speaker listening in your kitchen and stuff like Mm. All the way down to what kind of online accounts do you use? Um, what kind of information is accessible to a third party? The one that comes up a lot is Strava, you know, the running app. People mm, don't realize. No. It's like it I shows run. the little. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't run either, but I know a lot of like runners and cyclists, and it actually like shows where you go by default to the public. Mm, so really? maybe you don't want people to know exactly like what your yeah. daily running routine is. I feel like.
0: Um, oh, what's the app that all the kids use? They take the pictures and they, um like, selfies all day long. Snapchat
1: or Be Real? yep Snapchat? Snapchat. Yeah, yeah the Snap Map is a really good one that people, like, don't realize, like, yeah. how public it can be. Or, you know, yeah. parents, they don't realize that their kids are sharing location yeah. and who are they sharing it with. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah,
0: That I downloaded that just to make sure I could see what my kid was, you know, like just see what was going on. Right. And um, yeah, I had a stalker at that particular time and I was like, where in the world? I had no idea because I didn't mm-hmm. put in any information on this. Right. And then some kid was like, well, you know, I can see where you are. I'm like, how? How is this possible? Oh, no. So I had to just delete the whole thing. We couldn't figure yeah. out how to get it off of there.
1: Oh, geez. And anyway. I think that's one of the that's one of the challenges that, you know, when we're working with clients, um, there's so many different opportunities that without having that sort of trusted advisor who's like, you know, lots of us have like the friend who knows computer things that we can like bug mm-hmm. about stuff. But even that friend like doesn't necessarily have the same depth of security specific expertise, and and around personal security, I think that's you know there's a there's a lot of folks out there that can secure the sort of corporate infrastructure, but the right. personal security is is a little more specialized too.
0: Yeah, for sure. I could I mm-hmm. definitely can see where your services um, come into play and are impactful, especially in today's society. Like I just feel like it's
1: a little out of control a lot of people Uh, that are like big mad about stuff
0: yeah yeah Mm -hmm. well and just people have wrong motives right their intentions are not healthy um anyway so how like where are you at in your growth or in the company stage
1: yeah so we've been around for five years actually Fifth anniversary was a couple days ago. I just realized. Oh, sounds awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, filed filed our incorporation April eighth, twenty eighteen. Um, we we were really fortunate to get into the Y Combinator startup accelerator pretty early, like that that very summer. Um, but we were so early, like we didn't have a product, <laughs> and mm. uh, so we sort of started to figure out like what we needed to build, build the sort of very like messy first version of it, and um, we raised. Just over a million dollars right out of Y Combinator. Um, we did a second accelerator program called Start Out, which is the world's only LGBTQ-focused um, accelerator program oh, based in cool. San Francisco. Um, we were in the fourth cohort of that. It was a fantastic. Pro- I mean, we got so much out of both programs. Um, but the the Start Out community is like very small and intimate, and yeah. really made a lot of good connections T- there. That's awesome. Yeah. Yep, and um, yeah, we basically have been building and learning ever since then. Um, We've raised a total of just over two million dollars, primarily from angel investors, a couple of small funds, and um, the team is ten people, seven in the states and three in Canada. And I'm up in Canada these days. I moved home during the pandemic. I was living in the states at the start, and uh, was just like, "I miss, I miss my family." And there's there's a quarantine at the border. Let's just go home for the winter. And then the winter turned into the rest of the pandemic, and it's been good to be home.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a good place
1: to be, right? Yeah.
0: Interesting. So, what were the differences between the Y Combinator and Start Out? Like, because I feel like accelerators all have different. Uh, well, they all have different approaches, but they also, I think, feed you different ways or Absolutely. have different. Intentions or focuses, shall we say? So, what would you
1: say are the biggest differences between those two? So, when I did Y Combinator, it was 150 companies in the cohort. They ballooned up to 450 at one point, but I think it's back down to about 200 this cohort. Um, it, so it was a much, it was a very big program. Um, you have incredible access to a network of experienced founders, advisors, investors. All of the sort of network access is really unparalleled. Um, the demographics were, were very different from start out. Um, there was in my cohort, I want to say 25% of companies had at least one woman founder, but of the mm. sort of total number of people, the, of the total number of people, um, I think it was probably closer to like 15 to 20% were women. Cause there were lots of companies that had like four founders of whom one was a woman. Um, so, you know, very like, it definitely was a, it was diverse in some ways, and like much less diverse in other ways. Um, and then the the curriculum that you go through uh, has has really been fine tuned over the years. Um, I think one of the I, I love that they make the startup school curriculum, which is basically the same as the YC curriculum, just available to the public. I think it's an incredible resource. Um, and so that was, you know, it was a fantastic experience. I learned a lot from it. It, I definitely was like, I, I am noticing that I am a woman in this space <laughs> kind of thing. Like it was right, felt right. a little, little outside, even though I, in the time that I was there, there was nothing that was like an incident of bias kind of thing, but it was still just like, you just noticed it. Right. So start out, there's five companies of them, three had women founders, um, and the sort of. Like overall experience, it was a six-month program. Um, the one of the things that's cool about StartOut is that they don't take equity. As a founder, you sign a one percent pledge that if you have an exit, you will donate one percent of your proceeds to the oh, accelerator, which I cool. think is a really nice model for nonprofit accelerators. It it yeah. gives them sort of it aligns the incentives um, while avoiding a bunch of the pitfalls that like no equity accelerators sometimes have. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we could have a whole like hour long conversation about accelerators. I have many opinions about this. Yeah. But the thing that I, the thing that I loved about start out, we were the last batch. That, uh, I guess there was a fall 2019 batch that was in person and then obviously they went virtual in 2020 with the pandemic. but you know we had this shared office space. We were physically present with our with our batchmates. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That was wonderful. The sort of mentoring and curriculum was f- fantastic. Um, and really that, like, focused attention and, and focused peer group, um, the the sort of meta thing that I really think is is powerful about Accelerator Experiences, regardless of what the program is, is that sense of, like, moving with your, your peers through mm-hmm. the, like, founder journey. Because I think there's, you know, people, it's sort of a cliche that it's, like, lonely, but it, like, genuinely it is. It really is, yeah. And having that group of folks that you're, like, and now we're fixing our pitch deck and now we're focusing on sales and now we're prepping for demo day and now we're going to do demo day and now we're fundraising together like that that's really really powerful having that like hey I'm experiencing this like is that weird and somebody's like yeah that's super weird versus like oh yeah I totally felt that too right Right. having that level set is so 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 powerful oh I can imagine
0: just bouncing ideas off of each other and brainstorming and having them along for the ride for sure. I think, I mean, that's the reason why I started the wild feathers because the founder life is so lonely and you feel like you're all alone trying to create something. You have no idea what you're doing, right? So having people in your corner is great. So that is cool. I know accelerators, I'm getting ready to write a blog about accelerators because there's so many different kinds and so many different components and and whatnot i just don't think you have to dig to get the information right like and try
1: to sort through all of them even understanding what the sort of financial model is right Right. like there's the sort of there was the old yc deal and now there's the new yc deal there's a couple of other sort of similar seven percent but there is there also a note and how do the notes work and how do they work with your existing investors there's and and then i see i see a fair number of programs that kind of like They say we invest $100,000, but it's $20,000, like dollars, dollars, and then $80,000 of value that they bring. And I I always find that kind of marketing like a little sus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, understanding what the actual like dollars to donuts chunk of your company that you're selling is really important. Right. Or you have the ones where
0: you have to pay to be part of, and they, I'm like, yeah, (laughs) right. Like, "Mm, not so much, but. I guess some I think people do it.
1: I think there's a lot of variability there. And I think there's, um, there can be value for folks that don't have their like preexisting network. Um, but I think the vast majority of people that are thinking about doing a four pay accelerator, they should just watch the startup school videos. Yeah. Like, they'll get way more value and not have to like fork out a bunch of cash. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly
0: um so what obstacles have you faced along your journey
1: when i think about obstacles i think there's really two categories there's like the inner game and the sort of structural outside stuff um Mm -hmm. inner game wise uh i found out the first week of yc that i have adhd explains a lot (laughs) like my whole (laughs) life um and you know in in founding a company there's like i I do a lot of jobs. I have a CTO and co-founder who does the actual coding, but I've done fundraising, HR, operations, sales, finance, marketing, delivering training, customer success. like, And a lot of these are like jobs I haven't done before. So I think the, the sort of ADHD superpower of like switching tasks quickly, it's helpful when you have a bajillion different tasks that are like very different from each other. Uh, but there's a couple of specific types of work. And I, I sort of explain it as these types of work that are funnel driven. So if you think of like sales or fundraising, even partnerships, where you're having to do a bunch of prospecting, have this big like top of the funnel, and then drive the funnel through to a closed deal, it's a very different style of work than if I'm, you know, I'm a security person at Slack, I'm having to like, deploy a particular security technology and respond to an incident it's it's structured in a very different way and there isn't this sort of expectation that like you will just like not get to the next step with like half of the things you do like a funnel Mm -hmm. is just it's such a different conceptual model of work Mm -hmm. and it took me like several years to figure that out because i would get like super hung up on like a specific deal so um that's, like, the inside, like, self-management yeah. piece. Outside, you know, it's always hard to tell, like, how many of those pitches that never went anywhere, how many of that is, like, people look at this person and they don't look like a, you know, Stanford uh, dropout hoodie-wearing, like, tall, cis, white dude. I I don't know. I don't know how much that is. Um, and I think the, like, the other piece of it is learning how to tell the story of how the thing that we're working on is it's not just like a random occasional woman video game person who's getting like online harassed. It's this is like the future of how we interact as humans. These are the ways that it can go wrong. These are like the the sort of future of how we think about crime. Um, I, I don't know if you have you ever gotten those like weird random like unknown number text messages. Mm hmm that's like, it was great to see you at the gala last week, Bob. You're like, what? These are (laughs) industrial scale scams operating out of call centers in Southeast Asia. They were a $3 billion crime problem last year. Like it's nuts. The scale of some of this stuff and being able to make the connection between like, hey, I'm an expert in helping people who are dealing with like internet jerks yelling at them and like actually your like grandparent who got like targeted by one of these virtual kidnappings like all of these like wild scams that are happening it's all part of this same big picture personal cybersecurity thing that's like it, it took me a long time to learn to tell that like bigger story so mm-hmm. yeah
0: which leads me to i've been looking at a lot of storytelling i mean it really comes down to storytelling and how great you are at storytelling right so what do you think that the ability to tell a story I also think it changes and tweaks as you go along at least whenever I was doing pitching and whatnot I felt like my deck changed on a daily weekly basis um depending on who I was presenting to you but hundreds of revisions <laughs> right right it's exhausting but um how do you how much do you think that being able to tell the story impacts the ultimate outcome.
1: Oh man. I think there's like, I I have, I have personally met and this has been my own failure mode at various times. So many people over the years who were like highly technical, deep subject matter experts in the thing that they are the best in the world at and could not for the life of them, explain that thing to other people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it is, it is, I think it's it's such an important part of being able to, like, convey what you're trying to accomplish in the world. If you, you can't tell the story, like, people aren't going to understand. There isn't sort of a magical, like, lightning bolt, like, understanding that just happens. Right. It's something that you have to, like, as a founder, you have to make it happen. And I think there's, like... Um, There are there's like a way to overdo it, (laughs) and that's like you 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 tell bullshit, um, and that is like an occupational hazard, I think, for founders. Um, I I've sometimes talked about the there's like a spectrum between like appropriate hustle and inappropriate thirst, and you have to like find that sweet spot that's like the appropriate hustle. You you have to hustle, and that's that's a learned skill for a lot of people, like especially a lot of like techie folks. Like again, it comes down to these like funnel driven processes. If you don't have that like way of working, it's it's very unnatural um, because you just you want to you want to close every deal. You want every email should turn into like a closed thing and people should see your value. But you actually have to like make the case and you have to like so. Um, I brought on my first salesperson last year and it has been just absolutely transformative to the organization. We like two X start more than two X our revenue last year. It was like, it was um, last year was our big year. And a lot of the credit is due to John, my sales, sales, my account executive and learning from him, like watching how he listens to customers, um, how he identifies like what is the pain point? What is the need? And how, and and going from what that clearly articulated need that he's like listened to the person so deeply about, and taking that to like here's how we can help. Here's like the very specific way that we can like make this thing that, that sucks. sucks your pain suck yeah. less. Like that's it's it's fantastic to see someone who's like good at that. Um, and I think, you know, I think it is a, it is a talent. It is a, a skill that some people have like very naturally, but it is also a very learnable skill. And I'm, I'm very much a nurturer over nature kind of person. <laughs> and I think that's one of those, like so many of the the skills that we think of around, um, whether it's that storytelling piece, that hustle, these are all like muscles that we can work. Yeah, for sure.
0: For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> so I am really intrigued. Being that you were just diagnosed with ADHD, uh, that's a lot, right? So I think we spoke about this um, prior, how you would really had it all your life, but you just were diagnosed, right? How does that transform your life knowing? And then how does that, how do you overcome, I don't know, those challenges? I'm not ADHD, so I don't know. I mean, I know what the book says, you know, yeah. of what the challenges are, but from someone that has experienced and does experience that, talk to us about that. It,
1: the One of the analogies I've heard used to describe like an ADHD brain is you've got a Ferrari and the steering doesn't work very well and you have no brakes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of those things that there's there's a decent amount of horsepower in here but it's really, it's really hard to steer things and um, people talk a lot about the experience of hyperfocus which is like you fall down the Wikipedia rabbit hole learning about a subject and now you basically have like a PhD understanding of like I don't know some worm in Central America because you just read like 15 Wikipedia articles about it and like all of the citations because that was the thing that your brain was like this this is what I want to learn. And then you like have to do an extension on your taxes because you just like you cannot wrestle your brain into doing the thing that you need to do. Mm-hmm. It's super, super frustrating. The, the classic thing that like everyone who gets diagnosed as, with ADHD as an adult, the classic experience is being told that you're not living up to your potential in school. And it's one of those like at this point when I hear that experience from an adult in a conversation, I'm like buddy, you got to go talk to a doctor about ADHD because like that's 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 how our brains work. So the big like things that I have learned and figured out, and things that I have like tools in my toolbox, um, ADHD, uh, and, and sort of thinking back to like how this shaped me and my experience, I was misdiagnosed for most of my twenties with a sleep disorder university i like was theoretically pretty smart but i just like i could not stay awake in class for the life of me um so there was this whole adventure of trying to get you know figure out what was going on and my campus doctor was like well you basically you have adhd or you have a sleep disorder and it's faster to get a sleep study in ontario right now so let's do that first Wow. Yeah, it was nice that like one conversation life could have gone in a very different direction. But instead, we had this like 10 year detour through like medication that helped a little bit, but not that much. So yeah, did it help your sleep? um so i i sleep like a champion i am so good at sleeping i fell asleep in front of the speakers at a rave once i can no sleep way. on any airplane i am like a champion ah, sleeper funny. the the problem is i'm too good at sleeping i would fall asleep mm. in class and then i couldn't pass my classes so that turns out that was adhd like fairly common sort of failure mode so get the diagnosis in 2018 First week of Y Combinator, and the the couple of tactics in the toolbox um, medication. Uh, there's a clinician named Dr. Russell Barkley who's one of like the OG experts on ADHD, and I listened to a podcast with him recently. Ninety percent of people um, who have ADHD, maybe it's eighty percent, I think it's eighty percent of people with ADHD benefit in some way from the first line stimulant medication that we've all heard of, Ritalin and Adderall. Um, 50% of people with ADHD are completely quote unquote normalized, which is like they are clinically normal on medication, which is, you know, if you think about like diabetes drugs or like Mm -hmm. glasses, like this is, this medication is so effective for this absolutely like devastating neurological disorder. Um, And I'm like, I'm gonna have to try and not get like too mad about the whole shortage thing in the states right now because I see so many of my peers that have ADHD like oh, yeah. struggling to keep jobs. Like it is, it is rough right now for what, folks with what ADHD in states. What is the reason the behind the shortage? I don't know, oh, but I you know somebody real, who's directly affected. He yeah. went like two months without anything. Yeah, it's super rough. Um, So the I'm probably gonna get this wrong, so definitely fact check me. But um, I believe it's the. Um, the DEA controls how much of the precursor ingredients are distributed to the manufacturers, so that they can make ADHD mm. medication. They have restricted the. Somebody decided that there was being too much Adderall prescribed during the pandemic. Turns out, when you like give people lots of trauma and change their routines, many of them like really struggle with focus and concentration. Who knew? Yeah. Um, but can't know, imagine. They why. thought that <sighs> shocking. They thought that too much. <laughs> Uh, too many ADHD meds were being prescribed during the pandemic, so they cut back quite seriously um, the amount of the precursor ingredients that are being distributed to the manufacturers, and that has re- resulted in these like downstream shortages. Wow. Um, there are non-stimulant medications which are not controlled. Substances for ADHD. Um, the two biggest classes of them there's selective norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. Uh, Welbutrin is the sort of most commonly used mm-hmm. one. It's a, basically an, a type of antidepressant, but it works on the specific one of the specific neurotransmitters that people with ADHD are deficient in. Unfortunately, it doesn't work on dopamine, which is like the big ADHD mm-hmm. neurotransmitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget the name of the other class of drugs, but they're clonidine and guanfacine are like the two primary ones of this other category and they they work on a different like brain pathway uh but often help people they're actually like blood pressure medications that somebody was like oh this helps my like kid that has adhd like not have adhd um so it's a really interesting like so i take a stimulant and i also take one of those medications um and basically like the stimulant helps the steering and the um, second medication helps with the like there's a lot of especially when you are diagnosed as an adult there's a lot of like bad coping habits and negative self-talk and other sort of like mm. just brain weasels that you're like like why didn't you get that d- damn email out mm. right that sort of yeah. internal self-talk um yeah. the second medication the non-stimulant really really helps me with that um, helps and get it's, rid of that was, little guy on your shoulder all the time the little like angry voice on your shoulder telling you <laughs> yeah. you suck that you've gained from that's years no of like actually f- kind of that's sucking awful. <laughs> right That's awful. Like, <laughs> and you dealt with yeah. this all your
0: life up until yeah pretty much like pretty five much.
1: years ago wow yep. incredible yeah so a few bad so, habits to work work my way out of but yeah like but you there. must feel amazing now I, I do i it's it's honestly like you know people talk about going on antidepressants as like the clouds open up and like they can see the sun again mm-hmm. it's kind of like that except like that. getting shit done you know yeah The I other think two. would be very really... challenging
0: to do a startup
1: I, you know, it's funny when I think about like, had I known how many of the challenges of running a startup were like specifically like ADHD kryptonite, I I probably would have tried to like figure out my brain a little bit better first. Um, Mm -hmm. Would it change the order of operations there a little bit, maybe stuck with having like a regular job for a little while, but Mm -hmm. you know, no regrets, right? Like I, I have learned so much about how my brain works And I've learned, like, other coping tactics aside from, you know, medication is essential, I think, for treating ADHD for the vast majority of people. Um, But it's super corny, like, exercising every day. It really, like, it makes a big difference. Um, And I did not understand meditation. (laughs) Like, I was like, you want me to sit still and, like, not think? What? That's not, that's actually, like, physiologically impossible for me. Um, Once I started taking medication, I... Meditation became a real important part of my like self care practice, and it, again, it's that that muscle. But my like concentration muscle was so atrophied because of the ADHD yeah. that I couldn't like bootstrap myself into oh, sure. the, the yeah. focus of meditation. So, yeah.
0: yeah, that's super cool. Well, I'm excited for you that you, you. Uh, have discovered this information and you've found. Um, some solutions that uh, mm-hmm. help you get along. So what has been your favorite part of your journey of being a founder and building this company?
1: I think the, and it's funny because it comes back to that ADHD question of like, what do you do when you have like a hundred percent autonomy over your working day, over who you work with, all of these things. And obviously that some of those axes of autonomy reduce as you take on investor capital, as you like hire people, but i i feel so lucky to have gotten to build this like incredible team of people who are like better than me at everything that they do and like if you can if you can own that sort of like ego thing of like mm-hmm. i'm definitely going to hire somebody that's so much better than me at like every part of my job it's fantastic that's awesome i love it i love it what would you say the trick is in hiring good people then i think the like key sort of personality thing in an early stage employee. Um, I I describe it as low ego and high resourcefulness. Um, So if you're playing like Dungeons and Dragons, it's like initiative is really high, but it's basically like, I don't care what needs to get done. I'm just going to get it done. That's that sort of attitude. Whereas I think especially like folks that have worked at big companies for a really long time, there's like, there can be, and I, you know, I worked on Microsoft, like I've been at a big company, right? There can be a like, not my department kind of thing that when, oh, you're, yeah. when you're a super small team, mm-hmm. it's got to get done. And if somebody doesn't do it, like the CEO is going to end up doing it. And then you probably would rather have the CEO like fundraising or doing partnerships or like high, high, like uh, leverage stuff, rather mm-hmm. than dealing with like some the thing that one of the wildest things. <laughs> this is so specific, but like, so we're a remote company. We have company. We have employees in uh, five different states currently, and soon to be a sixth. Um, the overhead involved of like all of those different like state registrations is wild. Oh. I like,
0: no, totally I understand it why is...
1: people become libertarians, even though I'm very much not. <laughs> I just like I get it now. It's super frustrating. Government should work yes. way better than it does. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It makes your yeah. head
0: spin. Oh, yep. do you have anyone in California?
1: I do. Yes. My co-founder and CTO, Erica, she is Canadian. Uh, Well, she's a dual citizen now, but she, uh, she's down in San Francisco. We've got an analyst in San Francisco and one of our San Francisco folks just moved to the East Coast. I find those laws to be extra special. They Um, definitely, there's a bunch of layers. San Francisco in particular has a whole bunch of other like extra hoops you have to jump through. Thankfully, they were, like, where I started, so I learned that first. (laughs) Everything else was easy compared to that. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Extra special.
0: (laughs) So, uh, how did you get your name, by the way? How did you name it? Oh, that's a great
1: question. So, um, there's a phrase in Commonwealth countries, so think England, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, other four of the five eyes if you think of the five eyes Intel sharing fact um that's tall poppy syndrome and it's this sort of cultural thing where people like stick their heads up and people don't like culturally that some folks stick their heads up above Um, their station is the sort of like snobby thing that people say um so we we protect the tall poppies we protect the Uh, folks that like stick their heads heads up like try to do big things i love
0: that uh, yeah that's super cool so what, are uh, what's
1: one mistake you've made and what'd you learn from it? Oh gosh. Um, I think they the biggest mistake that I made. Or you can answer was, your big aha moment, whichever one you want. Yeah. The, um, the biggest mistake that I made was not realizing, and this is going to sound kind of silly when I say it, but it was like a big deal for me to realize this. Um, There were a bunch of aspects of just sort of running the business stuff that Mm -hmm. I found really, really painful, but I felt bad like giving to other people because I didn't want to put them through that pain. And again, this is going to sound real silly, but... It took me a while to figure out, oh, other people like doing the things that I find really painful. (laughs) So I just need to like identify the folks that like this. And then I'm not being mean by asking them to do this like thing that is like very painful to me. And a lot of it is like finance, tax ops kind of stuff. And I like I have the most like amazing tax people that I like love. (laughs) That's awesome. And so finding those folks that like love doing the thing that you find like excruciating, super, super important. Yes. And I think to back that up is the amount of
0: time that we spend on those items that we don't like. I think it takes, at least for me, extra long to do those items. Absolutely. Then the money of the investment of having someone else do them for you not only saves you time and money, but it saves you headache. And the old ultimately it's going to save you time or save you money because what is your time worth in order for you to get other things done? Right. I think sometimes as a startup founder, you don't want to spend the money to like offload. So you're trying to do everything yourself. But if you can just bite off a little bit to, to delegate some of those things, I think you'll be in a much better place. I don't know. That's from
1: my experience. That's very much my experience too. And I think we talk a lot in startup land about the sort of runway, you know, how many months of runway do you have? How many dollars in the bank? Like, what's your burn? This sort of mechanical financial runway. Um, But and there's like a blog post brewing in my head about this that I will eventually write. But I have this idea of like the burnout runway. We all have this personal, like I can keep doing this for another three months. And I just like I need to like go stare at a wall for a week. Right. Like what is your sort of personal runway of literally being able to get anything done? Yeah. And I think that's that's part of that calculation. And I wish that there was a way to I still have to figure out how to like visualize it. But I think yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good a calculation thing, that everybody should be doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever read the book 12 week year?
1: 12 week year. I don't think so.
0: So I am in the middle of it and um, it, I think it will help because I've been experienced. I've, I've talked to probably five founders in the past two weeks that have experienced that have been going through burnout or went through burnout within the last year or two or whatnot. And I think the runway of burnout mentally physically, all of it is real, right? Not only financially and all your revenues and, you know, all that overhead and all that fun stuff, but the 12 week year, I think if people were to implement that in their businesses, then it would make a huge difference. Not only it makes a huge difference in your outcome, but it also makes a huge difference in just your mental ability to sustain and and achieve. So basically the concept is instead of planning out a whole year, you know how we are like, okay, this is our yearly goal, we're gonna backtrack and go from there. It you break it out into 12-week chunks and at the end of 12 weeks, so you get your goal for 12 weeks, then you back your plan up, then you go like what you need to do daily, you get your team together, blah, 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 blah. Typically, if you stick with it, even on the days you don't feel like it, if you stick with it, then you can execute by that 12th week. Then you take a week off and that week off, you can either go on vacation or you don't do any, you just, whatever you want to do, right? And then you start another 12 weeks after the week, it, you, two weeks, if you need two weeks, one or two weeks, right? So if you break it down into, it's kind of like the way, I don't know, I do business, I do my scheduling, like I have to break it down Mm in chunks or else I have to compartmentalize or else it's just too overwhelming and I can't get anything done. But the concept can work personally and it can work business wise. And I think if we were to implement that, our burnout, our mental burnout
1: for everyone and health burnout would be much smaller. I don't know. That's really interesting. I, I so I'm not familiar with that specific system. It it does make me think a little bit of the sort of quarterly OKR cycle. Um, we use OKRs. Uh, I think they were in. I forget what they were invented, but they were popularized by Google for sure. Um, it's objectives and key results. So you think of what is what's the big goal we want to we want to hit. What are the specific metrics around that goal, and then sort of rationalizing everything that you do to those objectives and key results. Um, I think the the other thing that comes to mind is like, there, I, I, I went on a deep dive. This is again, ADHD hyperfocus. Went on a deep dive around all these like business operating system kind of things. There's scaling up, there's EOS. And the thing that I, the conclusion that I came away and why we ended up like sticking with OKRs is, is whatever the system you pick, implementing it in like a disciplined and rigorous way. Like that's, that's the thing that makes you successful rather than like the specific like implementation one the Mm -hmm. the one other book that this reminds me of i read a zillion years ago the author was a speaker at a conference i was at 168 hours you have more time than you think by lauren vanderkamp fantastic book about Mm. how we organize our days and our weeks um on sort of a smaller level than that 12-week cycle um Mm -hmm. but i suspect that you might enjoy it as well so, yeah
0: yeah i like yeah. the book the one thing too like just
1: i read that I last it. year it was so good oh my yeah, god i had yeah. i had a sticker on, i had a sticky note on my on my monitor for months it's a game said, changer though one, like, it's a great it, it's like he just says the one thing a hundred times in the book and you're like oh yeah that's the one thing i gotta do just it get one it's thing great. done, right you get it you get it that's funny
0: yep so how are you about
1: asking for help are you oh gosh ah. It comes and goes. It's definitely like, I feel like it never gets easier. And it's just a function of I have to keep reminding myself to do it. But I never regret it when I do it. So that's yeah. the, the thing I sort of come back to every time. And And some of this is that same, like, with the meditation and the like... I, I do a lot of, it's cheesy, but I, I do the loving kindness meditation where yeah. you're like wishing well for people in the world and for yeah. yourself and your loved ones. And uh, I'm a big fan of Kristin Neff's work on self compassion from the more sort of clinical psychology oh, yeah, aspect. Yeah, yeah, yep. But I think the asking for help is all part of that same thing mm-hmm. of like you gotta you gotta say the thing, you gotta ask for the help, you gotta like put the kindness out into the world that you have within you, but also like ask for it back from the people in your circles. Hmm. I think yeah.
0: founders in general are, have a lot of r- room for improvement for asking for help. But I also think too, sometimes when you're in the grind of the daily startup, it feels like it's more work to ask someone for help than it is to just do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, or I don't know where the gap is there, but... Um, I'm kind of just thinking out loud, but I think, I think women in general are much more eager to help each other out and to give resources and whatnot than men. Like it was once told to me, if you get a group of women in a circle, say women of founders, and they say, okay, what do you need? I I'm looking for whatever. I need help with affiliate marketing, we'll just say. And you've got everyone in the room trying to come up with ideas and resources and support of like, oh, you could do this or I'll refer you to the blah, 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 blah. But um, I think it's probably more rare than um, common for men to do that and to sit around, say, get in a huddle and say, okay, tell me what you need. And then they all jump
1: in and give help. You know what I mean? I don't know if there's truth to it, but. I so it's I'm just thinking of I'm in all these different like founder slacks and WhatsApp groups and um there's certainly given the industry that I'm in, the security founder community is very disproportionately men. Um and maybe I think it's partly a function of just I'm not competitive with like any of them. Like the work that I do is so different than like, you know, some CASB or SIM or all of these like acronyms that are very like enterprise. That's just not what I do. But you know, I I ask in various group chats, like, hey, how did you all handle this particular kind of thorny sales commission question? Or how did you figure this, like, multi-state registration, blah, blah, blah. And folks are just, like, this warm, helpful hug of supportiveness. Oh, good. And of all genders. And I definitely, like, when I think of the other women security founders, there's definitely, like, a particular place in my heart for some of my, like, amazing Women security founder peers, but I feel like the security founder community is actually really wonderful and oh, sweet. Good. So I that's feel really good. lucky. there. That's awesome.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, yeah. I don't know
1: if there's any truth. And there's to it, definitely but- there's there's definitely some like messy socialization gender stuff. Like I I I think there are probably patterns that one could could, could detect in the aggregate. Um, and I think the other thing that sucks is that like you know three percent under three percent of w- venture capital goes to women. It, there yeah. are ways in which it just that sort of scarcity mindset, I think it's really easy to get into. And we have a lot of these like cultural portrayals of like women pitted against each other that, that are like ah. super real. That's like a thing that happens. Um, and it can be really important to fight that. But um, I, I think the, the, one of the things that I really appreciated about the sort of Silicon Valley founder culture that I'm trying to like live in my life in Canada, because mm-hmm. the, the the startup community here is like a lot smaller and there's a lot less capital. And so there tends to be a bit more of that scarcity mindset is like just paying it forward, like constantly mm-hmm. paying it forward and building those communities. So yeah, yeah. that's awesome.
0: I I find, yep. I think that women are, I feel like the gap for the VC money, we're on track to get that percentage increased and there's definitely a lot more than there was five years ago shall we say so i feel like the balls
1: are rolling in our direction as far as that goes my hope is that as women have more exits that they will reinvest that capital into startups started by other women um i think we actually saw a decline in the funding of women during the pandemic which is a bummer but um you know we're we know what the sort of structural drivers are. It's just a matter of finding institutional will among LPs, among individual funds, and among founders that have successful exits, so. Yeah.
0: I actually have found more uh, women founders, female, not founders, investors recently. So I feel like that makes a big pivot as well. But Yeah. yeah. So tell us how we can help support you and help you with your continued success and
1: grow and what, how can we help? Well, I think the number one thing is if folks have internet haters that they're dealing with, call us up. That's, that is what we specialize in. Um, I think the, you know, those organizations that are, are most suited in the sort of urgent way to the work that we do, it's f- where you have a large interaction with the public sort of tech platforms, um, content, uh, Anytime that there's like that trust and safety function, those are organizations that really benefit from our work. Um, There's a couple of like inflection points where people become more public or well-known. Pre-IPO, I think, is one of the big ones where people are like, oh, this company now has a bunch of people that have more money working there. Mm -hmm. Let's go Mm -hmm. after them. Right. There's those sort of moments that are inflection points. Um, and then, you know, we we publish pretty regular content around personal safety and security issues. Uh, subscribe to our newsletter, um, that kind of oh, thing. Where do they need to go we're to do that? Tallpoppy.com. It's just down okay. in the bottom of the page in the footer. And uh, we have a blog as well. So and you can follow us on all the socials, Perfect. although we're most we're most active on Twitter and LinkedIn Twitter. these days. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and we'll include all of your links
0: below as well. So you can easily just click on their website address or their socials and connect with them. And uh, I know someone, everyone knows someone that could utilize this, right? So I think that you will see lots of success and I'm super excited to see your growth. And uh, maybe we'll have to have you back in like a year or two just to see where you... Where Where you've gone, right? And how much you've grown. So so excited to have you on today. And um thanks for spending some time with me and sharing thanks your for tall the fantastic poppy
1: fantastic conversation and great questions. And uh, yeah, I'd love to love to catch up down the road. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, subscribe
0: to our channel, The Wild Feather. If you want to learn more about our guests or their products and companies, you can visit our website at thewildfeatherpodcast.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter to receive info on our upcoming episodes. Follow us on social media to get the latest deets. We're on all of them, so pick your favorite and follow us. And if you're a founder and need funding or accelerator info or business resources, you can go to our website, thewildfeatherpodcast.com and find some valuable information and resources there. No matter if you're a founder, your investor, or what your path is, just remember you were born with wings.